are continuing in our sermon series where we've been talking about relationships the last couple of weeks. And so we started by talking about our relationship with God being the primary relationship in our lives, the most important relationship. And then we talked about our relationships within our families and the importance of the family. Last week, Brian did an excellent job talking to us about the relationship that we have with other people. And we're going to wrap up this sermon series now by talking about the relationship that we ought to have with the church. Now, when we say the word church, what are we typically talking about? We're typically talking about a building, or we're talking about an organization, or an institution, or a location. We'll say things like, I'm going to church. Uh, You probably learned when you were a kid, that thing that you do with your hands. If you want to do it with me, you can. This is the church. Anybody? This is the steeple. Open it up and what? There's all the people. Only problem with that is that it's terrible theology. I'm a lot of fun at parties. But here's the deal. I've heard Pastor Sean do it differently. It's like this. This is the building. This is the steeple. Open it up and there's the church right? It doesn't rhyme. It's not as cute, but it's more biblical. The reality is a building, a facility, an organization, an institution is not the church. We are the church. The church is the people. The church is the body of Christ, the believers in Jesus Christ who have committed their lives to him. And we can even make a distinction between the capital C church, the universal church that every Christian from all ages and all times is a part of the universal church and local churches. As Christians, we are called as members of the universal church to be a part of local expressions or local manifestations of the church called local churches. I believe that scripture teaches very emphatically that Christians are called to be committed to a local church. And we're gonna see that as we study this text this morning. But that's not so easy, is it? It's not so easy because maybe for some of us, you have a strained relationship with the church. Perhaps, tragically, you've been wounded by the church in the past. That's very common in our day. Whether it be the sin of another person or the sin of a church leader, the shortcomings of a church can leave you wounded and jaded toward the church. For others of us, maybe it's not so uh, painful. Maybe it's just boring. For being honest, I don't really like going to church. It's boring. You know, it's my day off. I'd rather sleep in. I'd rather play golf. I'd rather go fishing. Rather, whatever it might be. There's just other things we'd rather do. Maybe for some of us, we just have busy schedules. You know, my kids got sports on Sunday and there's like a 0.001% chance my kid's going to make the NFL. So it's worth a shot. Uh, It's worth skipping church for whatever else it might be. There are all kinds of reasons why we struggle to be committed to the local church. So here's the question that we need to ask ourselves this morning. Why should you care about the church? And why should you be committed to the local church? And then how can you have a healthy relationship with the church? Well, this is what I hope to accomplish this morning. Here's the main point. I hope to show you that because of what Jesus has done, we should draw near to God together, consistently gathering for mutual encouragement and service. With this in mind, we're going to study Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25 together and see what this text has to teach us about our relationship with the church. Let's jump in. Hebrews 10, 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near. 
with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We see the importance of this word in our lives. Lord, I can speak personally, Lord, you know my heart. You know how profoundly the church has made a difference in my life and how I've had the privilege of watching the church make a difference in so many other lives. And Lord, I know that this is a vital relationship for us to have a healthy relationship with our church. And so, Father, I pray that you would open up our hearts and minds to learn from your word this morning. And I pray that as a result, we would grow together as a local church body, that you would knit our hearts closer together, that you would make us more effective for the ministry of the gospel that you've called us to. For we ask it all in Jesus' name, amen. Let's start with a little bit of context. Let's start with some background so we can understand this passage a little bit better. Now, here's a really profound point. Hebrews was written by someone. We don't know who. It was written by someone, but what we do know is that it was written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The book of Hebrews was written under the inspiration of the Spirit. And personally, I think Hebrews was a sermon that was then written down. And I think it was preached to primarily Jewish Christians who were facing persecution for their faith. And as a result, they were being tempted to abandon their faith in Christ and go back to Judaism and go back to the old covenant. They may have been tempted to do so because under Roman law in that day, Judaism was a legal and protected religion, whereas this new Christian religion that was popping up was not. And so here's why in this letter, the main theme is then that Christ is superior to the old covenant. He goes through everything in the Old Testament with Moses and the sacrificial system and all of that, showing how Christ is superior and Christ is the fulfillment. And because of that, the appeal that he's making to them is to stand firm, to persevere in their faith. Don't abandon your confession of faith in Christ. And this passage that we are studying comes at the end of this lengthy discussion of Christ as our great high priest. And it begins with that little word, therefore. So here's what I think is going on. If Hebrews is a sermon, then what's starting in the verses that we're studying is the practical application section of the sermon. He's gone on and on his point about great high priest. Now he's applying it to this church and their situation. And it has a lot to do with how we relate to one another in the church. Structurally, this paragraph that we're gonna study, he begins by reminding them of two truths that he's already shown them in the book of Hebrews. And then he is going to give them three exhortations or encouragements or commands in light of those two truths. So let's go through these together. He starts by reminding them that we have confidence through the gospel, that we have confidence through the gospel. Look at verse 19 with me. Begins by saying, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. Let's unpack that for a minute. Since we have confidence or we can with boldness enter into the holy places. What was the holy places? 
All right, you gotta understand your Old Testament here. God commanded Israel first with a tabernacle and then with a temple to erect this location that you would enter into. And this is where God's presence would be manifested, where God's presence would dwell. And, and the inner sanctum of the temple was a place called the Holy of Holies. And the Holy of Holies is where the Ark of the Covenant would be, where the mercy seat would be. And only the high priest could enter into the Holy of Holies and only on one day a year, on the Day of Atonement, after he had gone through this elaborate series of rituals and sacrifices. But the author of Hebrews, in contrast to that, is saying, we as Christians have confidence or boldness to enter into the Holy of Holies. You see how crazy that is for this audience who knew only the high priest only once a year. And he's saying, we right here, right now can enter into the Holy of Holies. This is the way that Warren Wearsby put it. The old covenant high priest visited the Holy of Holies once a year, but we are invited to dwell in the presence of God each moment of each day. He elaborates on how that's possible in verse 20. He says in the end of verse 19, by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, how can you and I enter into the Holy of Holies? How can we enter into the presence of God? Because you know what would happen if the high priest tried to enter into the Holy of Holies wrongly? Dead, struck dead. Because in our sin, we cannot enter into the presence of God. Left to ourselves, in our own standing. Our righteousness is like filthy rags, scripture teaches. Left to ourselves, we cannot enter into the Holy of Holies. Someone has to make a way. That's what Jesus did. It said he made a way through the curtain that is through his flesh. I think it's a reference to this event that happened when Jesus died. Matthew 27, Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple, that is the curtain that divided the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple, the curtain was torn in two from top to bottom and the earth shook and the rocks were split. That veil was the veil of separation. It separated the presence of God from the people. And the death of Jesus, the curtain was torn from top to bottom to show that God has now opened up the way into his presence. He has now opened the way into the Holy of Holies so that we can now dwell with God. Let me bring that down to what this means for us today as Christians. This means that in Christ, because of the blood of Jesus, because of what Christ has done for us, we are invited to draw near. We are invited to come into the Holy of Holies, to come into the presence of God. And I want you to understand that in our sin, we have no right to go there. It's only by the blood of Jesus. Jesus is the one who leads us into the presence of God. Only Jesus can do that by his shed blood on the cross. This is the heart of the gospel, that Jesus has made a way through his death and resurrection for us to dwell in the presence of God, the place we were made for. Remember Adam and Eve, they were supposed to walk with God in the cool of the day in the garden to dwell in his presence. That's what we were made for. And we're finally able to connect with our creator because of Jesus, because of the gospel. So we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. But next, he reminds us that we have a great high priest. Verse 21 says, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, 
In the Old Testament, the high priest's job was to represent the people to God. He would enter into the Holy of Holies once a year. Why did he do that? To make a sacrifice and sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat to make atonement for the sins of the people. He made the offering on their behalf and he interceded to God on their behalf. And what Hebrews is showing us is that Jesus is the ultimate high priest, the great high priest who represents us to God. This is what it says in Hebrews 7. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office, but he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus is our high priest. We don't need a high priest in human form now to come and lead us into the Holy of Holies because Jesus is our high priest. He is the one who has made the sacrifice for us. So because we have confidence through the gospel and because we have a great high priest, this is what we are to do. He now gives us three exhortations in light of those truths. And the first is this. Let us draw near. Let us draw near. Verse 22 says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. He invites us to draw near, to come into the presence of God, to dwell in the presence of God. And he shows us how we are to do this in this verse. First, he says, with a true heart. That is with the heart that is sincere, a heart that is in the right place. John Owen put it this way. From this, it follows that the heart is what God is most interested in when we approach him. And that universal internal sincerity of heart is required of everyone who comes close to God in holy worship. In other words, first and foremost, the kind of worship that pleases God comes from the heart. It comes from a sincere, true heart. But next he says, in full assurance of faith. The Greek here is very strong. It's the idea of certainty, a strong, confident expectation that God is faithful and that God will be true to his promises. Then he says, with hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. Hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, just as the high priest on the day of atonement would sprinkle the blood of the offering on the mercy seat to make atonement for the sins of the people. So through Jesus's blood, our hearts are made clean. I want you to understand something. First John 1, 9, we're gonna study it in a couple of weeks because we're gonna go through First John this summer. It says um, that when we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's both forgiveness and cleansing. The gospel makes us clean. He says our hearts are sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. What does he mean by evil conscience? I think it is the feelings of guilt and shame that arise from knowing our sin. Shame was the first consequence of sin, wasn't it? You remember Adam and Eve, they steal the fruit. And what's the first thing they do? They cover up with fig leaves because they feel this experience of shame for the first time. And the same is true with us today. I believe there is no, probably no emotional experience that's worse than guilt, than shame, than feeling the weight of our sin before a holy God. 
And like our first parents, Adam and Eve, what we often do rather than running to Christ is we try to find our own fig leaves, whether that be a career or a relationship or substances or whatever else we think can finally make those feelings of guilt and shame go away. But listen, it is only the blood of Jesus that can take away our sin and it is only the blood of Jesus that can take away our shame. It's only the blood of Jesus that forgives us and it's only the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from our sin and from our shame. Lastly, he says, with bodies washed with pure water. I don't think he's talking about taking a shower before you come to church. I hope you do that anyway, Uh, but that's not what this verse is about. He's saying, it's just as the high priest, again, all of this is Leviticus imagery. It's just as the high priest would have to do these ritual washings before he could offer the sacrifices. The imagery here is that we have been washed through the gospel, that we have been made clean through the gospel. So what does all of this mean for us? It means we are now invited and enabled to draw near to God, to draw near to his throne in worship. We do this in prayer as we come to God and we bring our requests to him as we call out to him. We do this in worship, both privately and corporately, as we bring our hearts to God in worship. But here's what I don't want you to miss. We are invited to draw near. How often do we take that for granted? Think about the access that we have to God through Christ. We have access to the King of Kings, the God we just sang about, the sovereign King, the everlasting God. That is the one that we have 24-7 access to. I want you to think about something for a minute. Tim Keller put it this way. The only person who dares wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is a child. We have that kind of access. That's the kind of access we have to God, 24-7 access. And even better, he wants us to come to him. It brings his heart joy when we come to him. Think about Keller's quote here. If one of my kids wakes me up at 3 a.m. because they need something, they had a nightmare, whatever it is, I'm delighted to come and to help them and to love them because they're my child. I love you guys too, but if you guys call me at 3 a.m. because you got a nightmare... We're gonna have a conversation about boundaries. (laughs) But the reality is that is the kind of access that we have to God. He invites us to draw near. And I want you to think about this. I want you even right now in your mind to picture the most important and the most influential person you can think of. All right, really do it. Picture the most important, the most influential person you can think of. It could be a world leader. It could be a celebrity. It could be an athlete, whatever else it might be. Now, imagine if that person called you today and after you get done freaking out, they said, I just want you to know, here's my personal phone number. Here's my home phone number. Here's my address. I want you to know if you ever need me, and I mean this 24 seven, I want you to call me. You ever wanna hang out? I will cancel my plans that day for you. And I will spend the day with you. I will give you whatever you need, whenever you need it. Pretty, pretty cool, right? Well, can I one up that? That you already have that with God? that he is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He is the creator and sustainer of the entire universe. And now let me ask a follow-up. How many of us are taking advantage of that? How often are we taking that access for granted? That he wants us to draw near. He wants us to spend time in his presence. Let us draw near. But the next exhortation is this. Let us hold fast. Let us hold fast. Verse 23 says, 
Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Again, think about this in the context of the whole sermon of Hebrews, if you will. Remember, he's preaching to Jewish believers who are tempted to abandon Christianity and go back to Judaism because of the persecution that they're experiencing. And he's saying, in light of Christ, who he is, what he's done, hold fast, hang on, he's worth it. Hang on to your confession without wavering. This is a call to resolve in our commitment to Jesus. But even then, there's two sides to this coin. He's calling them to persevere, but he's reminding them that even their perseverance is not dependent on them. Because he says, for he who promised is faithful. This is the tension. We are commanded, called to persevere in our faith, to hold fast to our confession. But he reminds us that it is Christ who is holding on to us. I love the way Spurgeon put it. He said, it is not your hold of Christ that saves you, but his hold of you. We're called to persevere. And guys, this is why this is so important. The Christian life is not a sprint, it's a marathon. It's long and it's difficult. And we go through seasons of testing and trials. We need endurance to run this race. But even in that running, it is God who is working in us. Remember, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? For it is God who works in you. It's both. So let us hold fast. Finally, let us encourage one another. Let us encourage one another. This is where I wanna spend the rest of our time this morning in verses 24 and 25. It says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you spend your, the day, as you see the day drawing near. And I wanna walk through these two verses and I wanna see what they show us about our relationship with the church. So verse 24, let us consider. That means first and foremost, this is an act of the mind. I want you to think about this, consider this. I want you to plan, strategize how you can stir up others to love and good works. And I love that word stir up because it literally means provoke. Provoke is usually used in a negative sense, isn't it? Like, hey, I provoked you to anger. Stop provoking this person. He's saying that exact same word but in a positive way. I want you to provoke one another toward love. I want you to provoke one another toward good works. And it's interesting. He says love and good works. That means it's both the heart and the actions. I want you to stir up in one another both a heart of love and deeds of service, acts of good works. Now verse 25, not neglecting to meet together. The idea here is meeting together as the church to worship, gathered worship, not neglecting that. And I think, again, putting this in context, they may have been tempted to neglect worship out of fear of persecution. I think it is their suffering that may have tempted them to throw in the towel. If we were to keep going in Hebrews this morning, if you go a couple of verses down in Hebrews 10, this is what it says. Verse 32, but recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence." 
which has a great reward. In other words, because of their suffering, they're starting to neglect meeting together. But instead of neglecting to meet together, he says, but encouraging one another. That implies that that's something that they need, something that they cannot do without the mutual encouragement that comes from meeting together with the body. He says, all the more as you see the day, capital D, day, drawing near. I take that to be the return of Christ, the final judgment. But he's realizing you need to be eternally minded because Christ could return at any moment. All the more reason for us to not neglect meeting together. And so now I'd like us to dig a little bit deeper into these two verses and apply them to our relationship with the church. How does all of this apply to our relationship with the church? Well, the first point is the importance of consistency. The importance of consistency is what we learn from these verses. Verse 25 says, not neglecting to meet together. And I love the next little comment he makes, as is the habit of some. You guys know what a subtweet is? Anybody? Or you can do it on Facebook too. It's where you make a post about someone, but you don't use their name. But it's pretty obvious that you're talking about somebody. I hate when some people, blah, 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 blah. I know you guys know that because you've seen it. You've never done it. But here's the deal. I kind of think that's what he's doing here. I think he knows exactly who the some are. But he's saying, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, wink, wink. That's sort of the idea that's going on here. And apparently... Missing church wasn't just a bad habit in 2023. It was also a bad habit in the mid-60s AD when this was written. This is the principle of this verse, guys. As followers of Jesus, we are called to consistently being involved in corporate worship. We are called to consistently gather together as the church to worship God. And I use the word consistently very intentionally. I'm not talking about perfection, We're not trying to put some sort of legalistic burden on anyone, right? Of course, you go on vacation sometimes. Of course, you get sick. And in fact, if you're sick, please stay home. We don't want none of that. But here's the deal. It's about consistency. And maybe I could ask a thought-provoking question this morning. If your church attendance was like your work attendance, would you get fired? It's one of those Vody Bakum always says, you can't say amen, you ought to get say ouch. Here's the deal. We are called to consistency here. And we're going to talk in a few minutes about why it's important. Again, the point here is not to just heap on guilt. The point is to show you we need this. I need this. We all need this to grow in our faith. We all need this to be encouraged and to be provoked to love and good works. But why do we struggle with this? I don't think we struggle with this for the same reason the original audience did. I don't think most of us skip church because we're afraid of being persecuted. Though the way our culture is going, I don't know. That could be coming. But we often have other reasons. I think the top reason is usually misplaced priorities. It's simple. Misplaced priorities. That we have prioritized other things in our life higher than the worship of God. Where other things take first place in our hearts and in our minds. Whether that be comfort, you know, I'd rather sleep in. Whether that be sports. Whether that be whatever else it might be. We prioritize other things higher than God. Maybe it's just simple bad habits. Guys, as human beings, we are creatures of habit, and it's so easy to just get in a habit of something or get in a habit of not doing something. I think that COVID was evidence of this. Um, So just one statistic, a third of the people who went to church before COVID have still not come back. 
about a third of the people who went to church before COVID have still not come back. And I've had some conversations with church members who once they did come back after a while, they said, Pastor Nate, if I'm being honest, at first I wasn't coming out of fear of getting COVID, but if I'm being honest, after a while, it just became a habit. It just became a habit that I knew I needed to break. And finally, I think a lot of people uh, aren't consistent in corporate worship because they don't understand the value. They don't understand how important it is for your soul, what it does in your spiritual life when you make that commitment to being actively involved in a local church and being consistent in worshiping the Lord. So here's the thing, here's the application. Let me encourage you to make a commitment in whatever stage of life you're in, maybe it be as a family, as a single person, whatever it might be, make a commitment to consistently being a part of corporate worship. And I wanna do something I almost never do. I'm gonna take 30 seconds and I wanna preach to the camera uh, because we are super blessed that we have a lot of people who engage with us online, who watch the live stream every week. And I love that. I am super encouraged. I have the privilege of getting to see the numbers and getting to see that we have a lot of people who are watching us online. And to those who are watching, we are so glad that you are. And one reason I love the live stream is because again, it gives an opportunity for those who are not able to come to corporate worship to be able to still be involved. Some people that's health related, some people that's work related, whatever it might be. I'm so thankful for the live stream in those situations. But I can't help but say in a sermon like this, if you are watching us online and none of those situations situations apply and you are able to attend, I would strongly encourage you to attend with us if you're living local here at Coastal in person. If you're not living locally, we would love to help you find a local church that's preaching the gospel in your area and help you get plugged in. Because here's the deal. I don't believe that the live stream is intended to be a substitute for corporate worship. I think it's intended to be a supplement to corporate worship. So with all of that said, we now move from the importance of consistency to the need for encouragement. All right, Pastor Nate, you're yelling at us about we need to be here. I get it. But why? Why should we be here? Why does it matter? The author of Hebrews says twice that we need this for mutual encouragement and strengthening of our faith. Remember, provoking one another to love and good works, encouraging one another. We need corporate worship to be encouraged in our faith. Hebrews 3 put it this way, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. It's when we live in community with other believers that we hold each other accountable, that we support each other, that we pray for each other, that we encourage each other. Think about everything that we do in corporate worship. When we sing, you realize that our singing is for each other? It says that we're addressing one another in Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs in Ephesians 5.19. We preach the word for the encouragement of one another. Everything we do is so that we would be encouraged in our faith. Some of you might hear that though and say, I get it, Pastor Nate, but I don't feel that encouraged, right? I come to church and uh, frankly, I don't get anything out of it. That's another reason why people might often not come to church. They might say, I don't come to church because I don't get anything out of it. Let me respond with an illustration. 
And I'm borrowing this illustration from a guy named Jonathan Powers, but I made it my own. So uh, a week from Saturday, um, a week ago, we had a birthday party for my youngest daughter, Leah. She just turned two. And uh, for those of you, you know, see pictures online or whether we had a great time, it was a lot of fun. But let's say for the sake of this illustration, you were to ask me, hey, Pastor Nate, I heard Leah turned two. How was her birthday party? And I went, oh, it was terrible. I hated it. Why? What was wrong? What was wrong with the party? Well, I didn't like the cake. Wasn't the flavor I would have picked. Yeah, I didn't like the music. It was like Coco Melon's greatest hits. Songs were too repetitive. Didn't like them. Uh, and then get this, when all the little two and three-year-olds came, they didn't even greet me. They just talked to each other. It's like they're their own little clique. I didn't like the games. Wasn't any fun. Bottom line is I had no fun. I got nothing out of it. Didn't like it. What would you say to me? Say, Nate, it wasn't your party. It wasn't for you. And let me lovingly remind you guys of something. This is not your party. This is not my party. Corporate worship is not for you. It's not for me. Who is it for? God. That's why it's called worship. Worship's not for us, it's for God. The purpose of corporate worship is glorifying God, is praising God, it is exalting God. So we come in here with the wrong mindset when we come as consumers. We are here to worship. We are here to exalt God. But here's another way I'd respond to, but I don't get anything out of it. If you're a Christian and you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, and as this text says, if you come with a true heart in full assurance of faith, I believe you will get something out of it. Just keep trying. How can you not? When we sing the truth of scripture together, when we pray together, when we hear the word of God, how can we not? I believe that we genuinely will. Last response to that. What if we put the focus off of what can I get out of it and we put the focus on how can I serve? Because the text does not say, and let us consider how others can stir me up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but others encouraging me. It's not what it says. It's encouraging one another. The focus is on what can I do to serve? What can I do to encourage? What can I do to love? What if God is calling us to focus on not neglecting meeting together? And so it would not be on what I can get out of it, but what I can give, how I can serve, which leads us to our third point, the opportunity to serve the opportunity to serve. He's calling us to look for opportunities to serve. He even says, consider, think, plan, strategize how you can stir others up to love and good works. The reality is God has gifted you and equipped you as a follower of Christ to use your unique spiritual gift, your unique passions and talents and abilities to serve others in this church to encourage others, to stir others up to love and good works. As it says in 1 Corinthians 12, 7, to each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. Why does God give spiritual gifts? For the common good, for the building up of the church, for the encouragement of the church. And our ministries and missions at Coastal exist to give you practical opportunities to stir others up toward love and good works practical opportunities to encourage others. So maybe for some of you, the takeaway from this sermon might be looking for an opportunity to serve. If you're musically gifted, maybe that's with our worship team, or maybe that's with our production team. Maybe it's with our first impressions ministry, with coffee and parking and ushers and greeters. 
Maybe if you have a heart for children, it's our coastal kids ministry or our coastal students ministry. Maybe if it's a heart for adults, we have our men's and our women's ministries. Maybe it's for small group ministry. And I haven't even gotten to outside of the church yet. We have a heart for missions. We have mission trips and we're looking for different opportunities to serve the community. Here's the bottom line. I say this all the time. You will never come to Coastal and say they didn't have anything for me to do. There's all kinds of stuff to do. There's all kinds of opportunities to serve. So at this point, I'd like to invite up the worship team and the prayer team. And as always, if you have a prayer need, please come and pray with someone after the service. They would love to encourage you and pray with you today. But I'd like to close with this quote from Eugene Peterson. He wrote, God never makes private, secret salvation deals with people. His relationships with us are personal, true. Intimate, yes, but private, no. We are a family in Christ. When we become Christians, we are among brothers and sisters in faith. And here's my favorite sentence. No Christian is an only child. No Christian is an only child. Rather, we are brothers and sisters. We are born again into the family of God. And we need each other. We need each other as we gather together in corporate worship. I could be here all day telling you testimonies and stories, and I'd love to hear yours too, about how God has used the church in incredible ways in your life. And so here's the final takeaway as we close this morning. Let me ask you, how can you prioritize your relationship with the church? What step do you need to take? Maybe it is, as we've talked about, more consistently being a part of corporate worship, connecting to God. Maybe it's finding a small group and getting engaged and getting involved with a small group so that you can have that one another kind of lifestyle of encouraging one another. Maybe it's looking for an opportunity to serve, as we've been talking about, looking for an opportunity to use your gifts to love and serve others. Or maybe you're doing all that, so you need to go find somebody else and teach them how to do all that. Let's multiply, right? Connect, grow, serve, multiply. Look for those opportunities. How can you do that? If you're here as a family, let me challenge you. How can you make the local church central to your family life? Parents, there might not be a better legacy you can leave behind for your children that in our house, worshiping God comes first. What a great legacy that is. My hope and my heart is that we will grow together as a church family in our relationships with one another and in our relationship with the church for the glory of the gospel. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we love you. What a precious gift the church is, Lord. The church is your bride, Jesus. You love the church. You laid down your life for the church. I pray that that same heart and that same passion would be in us. Lord, I pray that you would help us to take the steps that we need to take to grow in our relationship with the church. God, we love you and we praise you. We ask this all in Jesus' name, amen.